Welcome to the program. We're talking today to dear, dear friend of Cindy's and mine for, goodness gracious, I should have done the math. I know we met by 1995 for sure, but it might have been earlier. It might have been three or four. And yeah, uh, I think we, it was. yeah, we had moved to Northern Virginia, and Spencer and Barbara Brand at that time were on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, today known as Crew. And Spencer has been involved in a number of uh, very interesting ministries around the world, Estonia with local leaders, some pretty high profile folks in uh, advancing the gospel. And Barbara has struggled with uh, MS. When were you first diagnosed, Barbara? 1992. It'll be 30 years next month. Goodness. Goodness. Yeah. yeah. And it hit hard. And uh, yes, it did. you have uh, been a soldier of dealing with pain and, and some of your stories about, I remember one of the first conversations the three of us had about dealing with pain. And you said there were three things in the bottom of a dark tunnel, me, God, and pain. And uh, never forgotten that, Barbara. Yeah. Never forgotten that. And you said, I don't want to go there again, but part of me doesn't want to leave. Exactly. And that's when I knew this woman was extraordinary. Barbara's one of Cindy's closest friends. And when it comes to prayer, which is what we're trying to chat about in these series of, of broadcasts, Hannah and I sat down, mapped it out. And so we got to talk to Barbara Brand. Barbara, let's start at the top. Most Christians, we say the same thing meaningless repetition. We don't pray. Prayer doesn't work, quote unquote. We don't feel like prayer works. We ask and God didn't come through, so forth and so on. Let's first ask what is prayer? And then we'll go a little you know, further and why pray and how to pray and what do we do with unanswered questions. So what is prayer? Well, for me, just very simply, it's just, it's talking with God. It's just communicating with God. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing very complicated. It's just talking with God. I'm talking with my Heavenly Father. I came to Christ when I was 20 years old, but my parents were divorced when I was two. And so I rarely saw my father, and we had a very strained relationship. And he stopped speaking to me when I was 13. So when I was 20 and I came to Christ, I was home alone in my room, and one of the first things that hit me was that now I have a father. Wow. I've always wanted a father, and now I have a father. And that's the way it's always been for me with him ever since then. It's been um, 48 years since I've been walking with him. And he's been faithful through all my mistakes and failures, just so generous. And uh, I just feel so lavished upon, like it says in Ephesians, he's lavished upon us all of these wonderful things. And so... I've known him to be this wonderful heavenly father. So getting back to your question, I would just say it's, it's just simply communicating with God, having a conversation with him, with somebody that I love and with somebody that I'm growing in my understanding of how deeply he loves me. As a cynic might say, or a Christian might say, well, it's one way. If I, Why would you say that? Well, if I, if I, Based on what you just told me, it's talking to God, but I'm saying all the words and he's not talking back. Ah, okay. Well, first of all, I, I would ask you, do you have a Bible? <laughs> because Oh, you're going to go there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean this big fat book? Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
um, then, so what do I do with this big fat thing? How do I break it down? But as we do, first of all, I, I do want to say I'm no expert when it comes to prayer. I am still, I feel like I'm still in kindergarten. I'm still learning every day what it's all about. But he's told me so much in his word about what prayer is. Jesus himself has told me what prayer is. The Apostle Paul, there are all of these prayers that have been given to us that we can pray back to the Lord. We are praying the very word of God to him. Go back to see what he said about us. It's, it's astonishing to me, Michael, when you really look and see how much he tells us that he loves us. He speaks to us all the time through his word. Every morning when I get up, first place I go to is the Psalms because that's, it's just filled with prayers to the Lord. And the prayer speaks often in the Psalms also. So it's very much a two-way vital conversation. It's not a dry, stale sort of an exercise. It's just like with my husband Spencer. You know, when I see him, when I talk to him, I like for it to be vital and life-changing and energizing insightful, all of these different things that I can get from a very close relationship with my husband or very close relationship with, with a girlfriend or, well, like with Cindy, for example, I don't know how many times, you know, I've talked to Cindy and I, and I called her doctor easily because she just is so insightful and God has used her to speak to me. So I find that he, he speaks to us in many different ways if we just have the eyes and the ears to open up. Even when I think about that, that prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians 1, where he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know, know what is the hope of his calling. All of these things that he wants us to know. Many believers, I think, they understand prayer. But when we started Stonebridge Bible Church a little over four years ago, one of the things I stressed was prayer because I said, I know churches talk about prayer, but most people say the same thing. It's truncated. Maybe when they're in a Bible study or group, they might kind of amp up their prayer language. Oh, wow. um, you know, we, we uh, make fun of people that say, Lord, just really, and we just really, and we just really, and, you know, some of this nonsense. But we're, we're speaking to the God of the universe, Barbara. Exactly. And I exactly. appreciate you taking us back to Scripture. But, again, help the person, and, I, you know, as I say at our, our church, I don't want to make you feel embarrassed or ashamed or, or ill-equipped, but help them understand, you know, prayer is communication, but is it not, not also a discipline? Is it not also a relationship? Yes, I think even getting back to the marriage example, Spencer, apart from my walk with the Lord, he is my number one priority. I want to set aside time to be with him. Um, we had four kids in six years, and so for a long time, we were crunched with time. We had hardly any time to swallow, much less to, you know, take a bite to eat or do anything else, but just to change diapers and take kids to school and carpool and everything else like that. But there would be many times that we would just spend times, you know, until five o'clock in the morning, just talking. Once the kids were in bed, we would spend that much time uninterrupted knowing just the two of us would have that time together to invest in one another. And as we invested in one another, we might, we might have been really tired and dead tired the next day. But it felt so good that we had invested that time because there have been dividends throughout the years from spending all that time with one another. And yes, it does take effort. 
Do we plan to spend that time until five in the morning? Absolutely. Uh, was it really busy and after the kids were gone to bed, do we want to just, oh, we'll do it tomorrow night or oh, sure. But it was like, no, we had made a prior commitment that we were going to invest our lives in one another and spend that time together. And I think that we can take that and parallel it very closely to our relationship with the Lord. Do we really, are we willing to invest? Because it does take effort. Do we want to invest in a time with the Lord? I would ask the person, how much do you want to know the Lord? Mm -hmm. I would ask the person, do you really understand and know how much God truly loves you? That he really accepts you for who you are? That warts and all, he has made you, he's created you, he's lavished upon you goodness and kindness and, and great, great motivations for him that are on his part. He's pure motives in the way that he is working things in your life and allowing things to happen in your life. How well do you know this God? How well do you know his character? And I think that really, that's like the starting point with the person because why would you be motivated to talk to somebody that you really didn't know that they loved you? You know, that would be kind of hard, especially talking about the God of the universe that knows how many black holes there are. I mean, whenever I'm thinking about the Lord, that, that whole chapter in Colossians 1, it just blows me away. Mm -hmm. When you think about that Jesus created all these things in the universe and, you know, our, our hands and our fingers and everything from every cell in our body to, like I said, the black holes, the nebulas, all these worlds that we have no idea even exist. And that God, are you telling me that he loves me? He's perfect and he loves me? Well, he tells us in his word over and over and over again, yes, yes. Yes, yes. So then I need to come to the point of, am I going to bank my faith on the character of God as revealed to me in the scripture that he's telling me the truth, that he loves me for who I am? I'll never forget this one time, Michael. There was a, a girl who was a, uh, she was a brand new believer. This great, great girl. Anyway, she was my office manager when I worked as a legal secretary in a law firm. And we were both non-Christians at the time, so we know some skeletons from each other's <laughs> closets. But all that to say, she came to Christ and had come from a very uh, performance-oriented background. You know, a father who was very, do this, do that, it's performance, you have to be perfect, you're not good enough, mm. you know, that whole thing. And I don't know how much it is with men, Michael, but I had known with talking with a lot of women, for many of them, they, they have this echoing, echoing in their mind, I'm not quite good enough. I just could be a little bit better. I could just be a little bit more. I'm just, it's not enough. Yeah. And so we turn to Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of the most wonderful verses in the whole Bible. Amen. And we read it, and I said, do you believe it? She goes, well, and we had a good half-hour conversation before she finally got the message after asking her over and over again, repeat the Bible first, read it out loud, <laughs> put your name in there. You know, what is God saying to you? Uh -huh. And finally, she began to believe it. And I think that that is the starting point for so many people. Do you believe that you are forgiven, you are truly forgiven, and you thank God? Are there things in your life that you deeply are still regretting and that you feel guilty about? There would be times, Michael, when I would go with Spencer to staff training when we were formerly on staff at Campus Crusade for Christ. And there was one, one person that spoke once and brought up 
this whole particular topic and the ways that we have gone against the truths of God in this particular topic, in this particular issue of our lives. And when I was not a Christian, I had made many, many mistakes. And one of which, which, which really did predominantly propel me into that relationship with Christ because I was so guilt-ridden. But it was just like I had sinned yesterday when I heard the speaker talking. And so the accuser, of course, the enemy of my soul, was telling me lies, whispering in my ears, you are such a sinner. God didn't forgive you. How could God ever forgive you of this? Right. You know, by the way, Barbara, read Leviticus. If you read Leviticus, you will realize that you would have been stoned at least five times <laughs> if you had lived during that time. And so this whole issue of guilt and this topic of knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that you're loved, well, once I come into that, of course I want to meet this person. Mm. I want to get to know this person. What do you really think about me? Am I really that, that special in your sight, in your eyes? And then you go into the whole idea of Jesus coming to die on the cross for you, for me. Again, like you said, you know, it's, it's amazing to think about all that he has done. You mentioned your father wound, if I may call it that. Uh, my friend Dave Gibson mm -hmm. just has written uh, recently published a book called In My Father's Wake that in no small part it's a double entendre, literally about following him on a canoe trip, but metaphorically about living in our father's wake of good and yes, bad. Yes, I heard that podcast. It was outstanding. And he's a great little book. But point yeah. being... You know, you made the comment, you paraphrase, you know, your father wound. And then when you met God, met Christ, you have a father. Help folks out, Barbara, because a lot of people, I would say, you know, be sexist, but it seems like more women have, especially if their father wounded them in deep ways, they have a really hard time with that metaphor that, you mm -hmm. know, he is my father. It's not just a metaphor. The reality, that this is a God yeah. who loves you unconditionally, who doesn't have a hammer over your head, who's never going to harm you, who has your, your well-being in mind, who loves you even though, as you've already said, expand on that a bit if you can, because I think that goes back to prayer. Why would I appeal to him, yes. petition to him, praise him, lament to him, yes. whatever, if I don't understand who he is? Yeah. I would say to that person, why don't you start with Jesus? Because Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. If you really want to get to know this Father who says he loves you, he cares for you, he wants to answer your prayers, start with Jesus. Because he is that expression of God. When you go to Hebrews 1 and that beautiful passage in those first three verses, which just is always so stunning, I can't wrap my mind mm -hmm. around those verses. First three verses. Same with Ephesians 1. Can't wrap my mind around that. Colossians 1, all of these things. And it comes down to Jesus. And so I would start there. I'll tell you one thing that happened with me, though, Michael. And, and again, everything I'm sharing, it, it does go back completely to prayer. And, you know, we talk about, you know, we want to know about intercessory prayer and the discipline of prayer and all of these things. We have to get these foundational blocks set, settled, really cemented, I believe, before we are to see any real growth and understanding in the depths of, of a prayer life with the Lord, we need to get to know this God that we're talking about. But when I first came to Christ, and again, this was in 1990, 19, uh, gosh, I'm old, uh, <laughs> 1974, yeah. when I was 20, I thought I was the only one in the world that this had ever happened to because no one had ever really told me about this 
Jesus. I had the Bible. I always loved it as a piece of literature. I loved Genesis, and I loved, you know, reading a lot of the New Testament. I would cross out things I didn't agree with, (laughs) but I began to read it all over again, and I was really stunned when I was reading in Matthew chapter 5, and that's where Jesus is talking on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says something like, if you are presenting your gift before the altar, and you remember that your brother has something against you, first lay down your gift, go and make amends with your brother, and then come and bring to me your offering. And it was almost, if I did not hear an audible voice, Michael, it was as if the Lord was saying to me, Barbara, your father has something against you. Even though he's mentally ill, he was the one that sinned against you, he's done much damage to you, I want you to lay down your gift. I know you love me. You know I love you. But for your sake, I want you to go and make amends with your father. And I was, I was like, Lord, Terrified. this is certainly not. Terrified. Are you kidding me? Are you absolutely telling me the truth? And it continued to haunt me and haunt me. I put it out of my mind. I thought, oh, I'll just go on and read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. It's so beautiful. <laughs> and da, da, da. Wait, you mean and, we're not supposed um, to just keep reading if we have that kind of exactly, uncomfortable, exactly. I mean, I don't want to call it conviction it of the like, Spirit, it, because that'd be <laughs> spiritual. I mean, oh. It was such a conviction of the oh, Holy Spirit, Michael. It's goodness. one of the most, uh, it was one of the deepest convictions I've ever experienced from him in my life. And it boiled down to becoming a matter of obedience. Was I going to obey this God that I just now given my life to, that I decided I was going to just dive in deep when I came to Christ. This was not going to be a, well, let's try it and see if it happens. Like, no, take my all, take my everything, or I'm killing myself. That was basically what it was. So I had surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And so was I really going to obey what I believe he had just revealed to me in his word, or was I going to disobey and then ruin my entire life forever? So it came down to obedience. So I got up my, this is before the internet, before anything else. So I got down my, you know, I got up my little directory. And again, it had been seven years since I had spoken with him. All the people that I had met within the past seven years had thought that my father was dead because that was what I had told everybody. Wow. So I got on his phone number and looking at it, to be perfectly honest, Michael, when, when I came to his name, I was hoping that he had died, to be fully honest with you. I was so fearful of calling him and of, I was literally trembling in doing this. And then I thought, well, as I begin to pick up the phone and dial, maybe he's moved and he doesn't have the right number. And then I'd be able to say, well, look, Lord, I I did, I obeyed you. I did it. Praise God. He's gone. I'm done with that, whatever. Well, he answered the phone. Yeah, right. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) He answered the phone. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) And as soon as he heard my voice, you know, I said, you know, I told him, you know, hi, this is me. And he began to cry. And he was so overwhelmed that I had called him. But in the next breath, the second thing he said was, well, Barbara, it's about time. Of course, yeah. And it was as if the Lord said to me, Barbara, now welcome to Forgiveness 101. Because there's much more to forgiveness than a one-time thing in many relationships. It's an ongoing act of forgiveness. There's that one-time act of forgiveness. There's that one act of obedience, just like I had done with my father. But it was an ongoing act of obedience for years and years and years. And then eventually I had the privilege of introducing him to Christ. And uh, he became a changed man. The last 10 years of his life were just very, 
very precious. And it was one of those things of experiencing what the locusts have eaten, mm. the Lord has completely restored. And that's what he did. So that did wonders for my prayer life because, number one, I don't believe that you can have a really clear and focused prayer life if you are not walking in obedience to the Lord. Sure. So the next thing I would ask the person is, is there anything in your life that you know that you have neglected in being obedient to the Lord that you know that he wants you to do? And you've been afraid to do it, then I would want to help that person come to that point. That's a chilling. That's a chilling thing for people to. Yeah, ask. it is. It's like Dave Gibson in his book aforementioned uh, says. You know, one of the things writing the book was he had to go to each of his adult children and ask mm -hmm. the question, "What was it like for me to be your father?" Yes, exactly. Ooh, that's what exactly. I, I want to hear. This. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I don't have the exactly. courage, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's easier to say it in our head, and everything yeah. is true, but but it's like, you know, the, the Lord is He's healing those wounds. He tells us in the song that He heals the brokenhearted. He cares for their wounds. And and oftentimes when you when you have to heal something, you have to scrape out the infection. And that's not very pleasant. So all that I have to say, you know, it, it's it took me years and years of working through things with my father and Fortunately, I end up being married to my best friend who also became my number one therapist. <laughs> so I could tell Spencer all kinds of things. And he was very helpful with me in just working through that particular relationship. Mm -hmm. So again, getting back to how you would help a person with a prayer life, yes. I would make sure that those things are really covered and being worked on, that that person is willing to work on those things. Or if they're not willing, that they would ask the Lord, Lord, make me willing to be willing. Yeah. Lord, make me willing to be willing to be willing. Sure, sure. Go to the root. Start Go to somewhere. The very root. Yeah. And then once you get to that, then you begin to understand what it really means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. When you talk about the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, and patience, all of those things, the fruit of the Spirit. And we are told by the Lord that we have the ability in Him to walk in that power every day, whether or not we feel like it. So let's say going back and just not harping on this thing with my father, but just continuing to use him as an example. There have been many others through all these years of, of walking with him of different relationships. But Lord, okay, no, I don't feel love for him right now. I don't feel particularly joyful right now in his presence. All of these things, I don't feel peaceful. And yet, in your word, because I am obedient to you right now, I am abiding in you, John 15, I am abiding in you, and you are abiding in me, I'm going to trust that you are also filling me and empowering me with your Holy Spirit. So you can love him through me. You can forgive him through me. I don't have to do it. I don't have to because I'm dead. I'm alive now with Christ and God. I've been crucified with Christ. So he can do it all through me. The pressure's off. And the more that I can remember that, and that opens even greater gateways when it comes to prayer and talking with this person who loved me so much he died for me. So I, I think it is a long-term process. And again, I'm still in elementary school, Michael, when it all comes to this. You know, there are new experiences every day and new challenges every day, new walks of obedience, new, new decisions that I need to make. Is Am I going to be obedient to you, Lord, or am I going to choose not to? Am I going to try and rationalize this situation or am I going to let you scrape the scars 
And even like with my father, when I forgave my father, I, I really felt like I was taking a shower on the inside. I was clean. It was beautiful. It was just beautiful. And I was with him the last few days before he died, and it was, it was just glorious. He was actually from a Catholic background. And when I would talk with him about all of these things, I mean, how you can pray, you know, and talk to Jesus and all of these things, he would keep saying so often, is this really true? He says, wow, you know, this is, this is amazing. And when I shared the gospel with and I, I used some literature when I was sharing with him because I was so scared to share with him that day and I was trembling. I needed something to help me keep on track. He almost grabbed the literature right out of my hand. We just couldn't get enough of it, couldn't get enough of it. And, you know, right before he died, you know, I, and he, this was just three years ago, I said, you know what, you know, as soon as you die, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And he's going to look at you, and he's going to show you how much he loves you. And he looked at me with these eyes, and he said, I can't wait. Mm. It, was that, it was that precious. He could not wait to meet Jesus. Mm. So anybody can pray. Anybody who has an open heart and wants to learn and to grow, who's willing, I think, to take the risk of investing in getting to know him, those are, I think, prerequisites in a lot of ways, or I guess maybe the first, maybe it's the primer, I guess you could call it, of coming to that place where you really were talking with a friend. And Jesus says, I have called you my friends. So perhaps, again, this person that where God may see a stranger to them and this unknown kind of scary up there, out there person that's an intangible Here we've been given Jesus Christ the righteous, our advocate. And so we can go to him at any moment of any day, perfectly accepted. There is now no more condemnation. And we can go to him and we can talk with him. We can share our hearts. We can share our concerns. We can share our worries and our fears. And Jesus is there to walk with us through it. And he has in his word answers to those particular challenges that we're going through. So I think, again, it comes back to trusting his word. Am I going to bank my faith on how he tells me I can get out of this, let's say, problem right now? Let's say I'm going through a great disappointment. Let's say there's certain unanswered prayers. How do I deal with that? You know, Lord, how come you you haven't answered my prayer? There there was a time when uh, I was very, very young, and I had what was an ectopic pregnancy. Mm. And I had had to have some surgery before we got married. And so the doctor told us that this tube was going to have to come out. This baby was going to have to come out. And so we knew that if that was going to happen, that I would no longer be able to have any more children at all. And so we prayed and prayed and prayed that, that the Lord would just perform a great miracle. And, and I wouldn't have to have this baby removed. And we knew it would be a miracle. We had people all around the world praying for it. And my faith was not as strong as Spencer's. I was just hoping for, well, maybe I'll have a miscarriage. At least then I'll still keep that too, mm. and I can still have, have perhaps have another child. All that to say, the Lord performed an incredible miracle, and he gave us a child. He literally moved this child down from the tube to an, an impossible place in the uterus. And even my, you know, we had three different opinions and they just, the doctors just could not believe it. They said, we have no explanation for this. The, we saw it even on the ultrasound. The, even the radiologist said, I can't believe this. this. That was a great answer to prayer, and it fueled our prayer. And yet, I have to share that 
then came unanswered prayers because this child who we believed who had been born with great purpose, there was something special about this child. This is one of our children that has chosen to walk away from the Lord. And at present, she has not yet come back to the Lord. So the very one whose life was saved has now turned her back against the one who saved her life. And it's been heartbreaking to see it. And yet I am choosing to believe many, many things, Michael. When I'm going to the word, I'm choosing to believe many things that I'm, I'm taking him at his word and I'm banking my faith on certain things regarding this particular child. Whether or not I can see things right now, faith sees the invisible. And so I need to trust that what I do see in front of me is the very word of God in black and white mm -hmm. right in front of my eyes. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to lay my hand directly on this word of God. I'm going to believe that this is what Jesus is telling me right now. And so I can say, well, therefore, Lord, I can thank you. And, you know, when, when we talked initially about even talking about this subject of prayer, I was amazed going through the word, Michael, about how many times Thanksgiving is intertwined in prayer. Yeah. Because we always go back to Philippians 4, 6, and 7, right? In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, and so on and so forth. Well, it says, with thanksgiving. How many times does God answer our prayers, but we, we don't even thank him for it? And we are told to be alert in prayer. I need to be alert with the ways that God has answered me. And when it comes to thanksgiving, I need to be thanking him by faith, going back to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice, pray, and everything give thanks. Those are elementary, just school, I think, primers. Well, I, I'm going to, you know, there was a time when I could award honorary doctorates, and I'm going to move you from kindergarten. Then you said elementary. I'm going to move you to postgrad. <laughs> okay. You and, and Spencer and Cindy and I have chatted about resources for decades. Yes. You love strength and joy, or is it joy and what is yes, it? Yes, I do. You love that. I think we both probably started Valley of Vision back when it was okay. only. Can I interrupt you for a second? Hang on, right time, out, time out, time out, time so, out. Yeah. So Valley Vision was paperback, and, and my, my, my yeah. copies were glued and rubber band literally together. Okay. And yeah. then they came out with leather, praise God. And then late to the party, I came across Handbook to Prayer. And, um, you keep talking about that. I know, I want to get Okay, that I'll send one to you and Spencer. But oh, now let's talk you. about the pros and cons of these tools. Because okay. when I was... I mean, I think I shared with both you and Spencer, I could not read two of these without sobbing I know, every I know. morning. <laughs> now, the problem with Valley of Vision is the theology and the language is a little bit, you know, admixture type of language. It's a little King's right. English. It's a little cumbersome for the modern reader. That, mm -hmm. doesn't, that doesn't put the book aside. The other problem yeah. is some of this, well, Theologically, there's some of them that are like, oh, scratch my head. Now, I want you to talk about strength and joy. Handbook to prayer, and the reason I pushed this so hard, Barbara, yeah. it's just scripture. He organized fragments and sections of Psalms yeah. and Proverbs, and you mentioned the great Ephesians 3 prayer, other ones. And then he has a little system where he'll say, you know, do this. And then he'll say, pause wow. and adore mm -hmm. God, pause and confess your sins, whatever. So I call it paint by numbers prayer. 
and we've given mm. out over a thousand to folks at Stonebridge to say, if you come here and you call this home, we'll give you this book and oh. it's not cheap. We'll give you this book and I want you to try it for 90 days because that's the format. It's got, I call it again, paint by numbers. And then it's got a cycle of, you know, month one, two, and three. And you go through mm -hmm. it five minutes, 20 minutes, an hour a day. It just depends on your margin. But one of the things, and I, I do have a, a point besides all this, he, he used a book by a guy named Lancelot Andrews, a 17th century Anglican bishop. And his original book was called Private Devotions, which I bought a copy of it. And what Ken and Max Andrews did was far more powerful than that, not to be unkind. But he says there are eight forms of prayer, adoration, confession, renewal, petition, intercession, affirmation, thanksgiving, and then what he calls closing prayer. And then he explains each one of those based on the so-called Lord's Prayer, which I like to call the Disciples' Prayer. And then mm -hmm. he has this thing called morning affirmations. And I won't read all of them, but there are 10 of them. And I sent out an email perhaps six months ago to some close, close friends and said, look, I'm not going to measure you or ask you or check up. But if you do these morning affirmations for a month, I think it'll change who we are. And one of them is number seven called the purpose of my life. And I rarely get past it. I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. I want to love my neighbor as myself. And then he has passages referencing that Matthew 27, etc. My purpose, here's my point, is to love God completely, love self correctly, love others compassionately. And then he has a series of bullets. I will seek first your kingdom. I've been called to follow Christ and be a fisher of men. I will be a witness to those. I want to glorify God. And we could talk at great length about this, but all that to set you up to ask the question, as we get older, a lot of my peer, I don't know about yours and Spencer's, they don't know what to do in their 60s and 70s. They've lost their purpose because you were working, you were busy, you were important, you were an executive, you were raising right. kids, and now all of a sudden you've got margin. Maybe you've got some freedom, but is traveling and visiting grandchildren the only purpose we have in life? And I want you to keep that one in pause, but I want to come back okay. to, sorry for the disconnect, but I'm going to come back to a couple of questions. Lament. Praise, petition, confession. Any one of those, just pick one. If you think of lament, because you're a person who deals with intractable pain for large parts of your life, mm -hmm. where does lament come in when you're laying in bed and light and sound and noise and touch and distraction send you into incredible, excruciating pain? What do you do? You lament? In all honesty, no. So this is why I, I hate really you don't. in a Christian sort of way. <laughs> you, 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 you and Johnny are like, you, you never say a negative word about anything. I'm like, can't oh. you, can't you complain once in a while? <laughs> you're, so, you're so funny. I love you, Michael. <laughs> I, 
I don't know. I, I think that right before I was diagnosed, that they thought it was either MS or a brain tumor. And uh, I remember walking down the hall to the MRI and, you know, just thanking God. Thank you. You're not a stranger to me. I spent all these years getting to know you. And it's wonderful how people do come to know you through tragedy or through trauma. But I already know you. So I knew he had died for me. I knew that he had invited me to come and partake with him in the fellowship of his suffering. And so when I finally got the diagnosis that it was MS, it took me right away to Philippians 3. Okay, let, let me stop you. Let me stop you. Barbara, you know people. They do not respond the way you respond when they get okay. bad news. When they get yeah. the cancer diagnosis, the MS diagnosis, right. I mean, they don't go, okay, Jesus, I get the fellowship of suffering, get the pom-poms out, and I mean that not condescending, but I'm happy with this. Barbara, that's where you are unique, and that's what I, what all of our friends who know and love you is like, how do we lean in, Barbara, and how do we get that response? Is it just because we're not walking with Christ as intimately? Is it our personality? I mean, you counsel people, as your husband tells me, because you would never say it, the people that line up to come to the, your house to see you when you feel well enough to entertain people, we all have the same question. Barbara, how do you get there? Because the rest of us, that's not our immediate reaction, Barbara. I think that's why I go to Psalms the first thing every morning, because there are the laments in there. Let's say particularly with MS, no, I, I never have had those particular issues, but I sure have had with two of my children, as you know very well. There have been times whenever I've been physically able, I knelt down on my bed and I have wept for these children. And so if you want to call that lament, I, I guess so. I've never thought of it in, in those terms, but I've experienced brokenheartedness, and I've, I've known that so is Jesus. He has. So no matter what I'm going through, he's not at a distance. You know, you mentioned the cancer diagnosis, Michael. Just eight hours ago, the wife of one of our very dear friends just passed away from cancer. And yet, let me just tell you, it was amazing what he wrote to us. He said, I just want you to know that Kay is with the Lord. Kay is at peace, and so am I. Now, was this heartbreaking? Absolutely. I mean, I can't even imagine that. that my greatest nightmare, you know, humanly speaking, is to lose my husband, yep. my Julie Spencer. So, of course, it's like he is, Jesus has wept. Jesus wept. Jesus went, Jesus, we're told, sympathized with every single thing that we've ever had to go through. So, yes, if you have to lament, lament, absolutely. If you need to go to the Psalms where David's saying, where are you, Lord? Why do the wicked prosper? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why are you allowing that to happen? Why is this child breaking my heart? Or why do I feel estranged from my husband? Or why can't I have children? Or why am I not still married? Or why did my friend betray me? You know, why did this other relationship that I built my life into, that this person is turned around now and they're telling all kinds of lies about me? There are, you know, there are a myriad of things that we each have gone through that have been unfair. And the one that has experienced the most unfairness in life is Jesus. So he's not there standing at a distance watching how we're going to respond when we get this news. No, he's right there. And, you know, you and I have had this thing before. We've talked about this one particular poem. I won't go into all of the details of it, but what we both have gained from this particular poem is unlike the person in the poem, 
We want to know and experience that Jesus is carrying us along the shoreline. He is carrying us. We don't want to go to the end of our life and say, where were you? You know, <laughs> we want that to be carried by him. And so there have been many times when I was carrying my children and they were crying, but I was carrying them and they knew I was carrying them. And they were based in that security of knowing that they were being carried by the person who loved them the most. And I think that's what's really important, no matter what we're facing in our lives, no matter how heartbreaking, it's important that we have to know that we know that we know. And the thing that I really love, too, the way that God has created us, is that our will is stronger than our emotions. And we live in a society today that tells us the opposite. Go with your feelings. What are you feeling? What are you experiencing? Tell me this, tell me that. And there is a place for that. But in the Christian life, we've been equipped to exercise our will. And we can do a lot of things with our will in the midst of very difficult experiences and just trust that eventually our emotions will catch up with our will. But as long as we are walking, trusting him in obedience, and we might be crying and weeping and prostrate on the floor, but are we in the middle of his will? Do we believe that it's the safest place to be? What do we believe? And so when we go to that, that can root us and ground us. I would talk to you for five more hours. I want to land the plane. Leave us with a final thought because, again, we haven't even scratched the surface on this whole thing. I'd love to have you back and just talk about the fellowship of suffering some point. But final thought on prayer and encouraging folks who struggle with it, who repeat the same thing, who don't pray, prayer doesn't work, all those kinds of things. Okay. I would say that I think one of the things that we do is we, in this day and age particularly, is that we compartmentalize prayer. I get up in the morning, I have my quiet time, I pray, I tell God this, I tell that, then I go on and do my day. Maybe I'll think about him in the middle of the afternoon, possibly, I don't know. At night, of course, I might pray and say my last prayers or whatever, but it's compartmentalized rather than being something more fluid. It's like right now, he is in our midst. We're talking to him as we're talking to one another. When I get off with you right now, maybe I might go and fix lunch. I might look out the window and I might see a tree out there and it's a clear blue sky today. I might talk to the Lord then. Am I having my quiet time? No. But am I prayer? Yes. But it's more fluid. It's more of a relationship. It's not a matter of doing. It's a matter of being. And I think that's really important. And then just the last thing I think would be would just be to go back and Look at the life of Jesus. Look at those prayers. Look at the Lord's Prayer. I loved how you brought that up. And again, we even talked about forgive us our sins as we forgive those. I think that's so important and essential in prayer. But then I would go to the Hebrews passages in Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 6. We, we do not have a great high priest who cannot understand with our weaknesses. But with confidence, I just love that, Michael. And we're told more than once, with confidence, we can go before the throne of grace. He wants that for us. So he's there and he's praying for us. He lives to intercede for us. Yeah, that's a that's a mind-boggling passage. That's a yes, mind-boggling sure passage. Is. Listen, listen, uh, yeah. Barbara Brand, and you, you need to share this podcast with some friends of you who struggle with prayer. As a dear, dear, precious friend of ours, Barbara will be in one of these Hall of Faith categories where people Come to see Barbara and Spencer without fanfare, without advertisement, without books, without big names, because you guys are uniquely living out this 
and and Cindy and I would say over and over and over again, you guys exemplify so many ways an ongoing relationship with Christ, an intimacy with Christ, and people see it, and God uses you because we lean in. So many of our friends, Jim, going to traffic camp, would talk about we take off our shoes when we talk to Barbara Brand because what God has done through you guys is otherworldly. And even as you say, you know, I'm cooking lunch or looking at a tree and I keep praying. And you, and, and that's true because I remember on a number of occasions when we've been in your home and you guys just stop and pray, we don't chit chat. We don't talk about nonsense when we're together. We talk about the Lord and what he's doing in our lives and our kids and our grandkids. And Cindy, and I love you dearly and pray for uh, respite for you, for good rest uh, for, for good sleep and that, that you can mitigate the pain mm-hmm. as you press on to serve the Lord. He's using you in remarkable ways. And I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Michael. We love you and Cindy so Mutual much. Mutual friends. God bless you. You too, Michael. Thank you. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.